Hi, lovely listener. Just a quick note. You're listening to an episode of the podcast, which was recorded before the show changed its name to Tea with Kings and Queens. So now you know. Enjoy. Tea with Queens is proudly supported by Kogarashi Coffee, who deliver in-season speciality coffee from small farms straight to your door. For a 10% off treat, head over to kogarashi.co.uk and enter the code QUEENS at checkout. That's K-O-G-A-R-A-S-H-I. Hello my loves, I'm Carly Deering and welcome to Tea with Queens, the podcast where I chat to some of the most exciting performers from the world of drag, burlesque and cabaret. In today's episode, I'm chatting to Britain's first out Muslim drag queen, Azifa Lahore. Azifa first came into the national spotlight in 2014 when she was censored by the BBC for discussing Islam and homosexuality. In 2015, she appeared in the groundbreaking Channel 4 documentary Muslim Drag Queens and since then has established herself as a passionate activist on intersectionality, race, sexuality and religion. Azifa has spoken at the Oxford Union and in 2015 delivered a talk for the Lost Lecture series, which is on YouTube, so I would really go and check it out if you haven't seen it already. It's fantastic. I was so honoured to spend some time with Azifa. She's a true advocate for authenticity and openness. Our chat was recorded via Zoom back in July. Enjoy. Today I'm honoured to be chatting with the UK's first out Muslim drag queen, the phenomenal artist and award-winning activist Azifa Lahore. Hi Azifa. Hello, how are you? I'm great. I'm thrilled to be chatting with you today. How are you doing? I'm not too bad actually. I'll be honest with you, because we're still in lockdown season, especially at me, I've just woken up maybe 40 minutes ago. I'm sitting here in a gorgeous koala onesie, delighted to be speaking to you. You look stunning. You look stunning. I think we're all in our onesies at the moment. Um, There's so much to talk to you about. I mean, even today, I've just seen your nomination for the British LGBT Awards Online Influencer 2020. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. I mean, wow. Um, The British LGBT Awards, um, you know, great to be nominated. And uh, it's an amazing sort of lineup in the online influencer um, awards. So um, I'd love to win it. But if I don't, then there's some amazing people that deserve it just as much as I do. It's phenomenal. Well, let's start with how have you coped with the last few months? How have you looked after yourself through lockdown and and dealt with all of that? Lockdown has been challenging. I mean, I've had good days and bad days. I've been forced to work online, like all my shows, um, everything has just gone online. So I've been doing um, many podcasts, very much with lovely people like yourself. Um, And on those days, I feel absolutely on top of the world. And then on other days, I'll be honest with you, I have been feeling very low, very depressed. Um, It feels like the end of the world at the best of times. So um, I've been learning how to cook. I've learned like 53 ways how to make chicken tikka masala, um, which has been great. Um, I've been sleeping um, and just just going back believe it or not to childhood so I've been watching a lot of cartoons that I used to watch as a child I've been watching um, all those shows that you know 
you click to watch later and you never get around to. So I've been watching a lot of TV and doing a lot of writing as well, which is what um, is inspiring me at the moment. So what writing are you doing? Tell us about that. Oh, there's quite a few things. I'm actually writing, um, I'm actually writing my memoir, uh, which I'm really looking forward to at the moment. I'm just sort of like, um, doing the timelines of my family tree, um, talking to mom, talking to dad. Um, and I'm also currently writing, um, a TV series as well. So, um, just sort of just being inspired to do things that I wouldn't normally do. Can you say much about the TV series at the moment? At this stage, I can't say too much other than it's a love story between a Muslim drag queen and an Essex boy. Oh, fantastic. How exciting. Well, I can't <laughs> wait for, for both of those things to, to appear. Um, what, so what's the process been like putting your memoir together? Um, putting my memoir together, I thought would be easy, but I'll be honest, it's been challenging. Um, just going back to, you know, my roots and then realizing actually that me coming into this world, my mum giving birth to me wasn't really the start of my life. It may have been the start of my life technically, but actually you know, 20 years prior to that, there was a lot that went on. And I think obviously being from like a South Asian background and with partition and, um, you know, the countries of Pakistan, for example, where uh, my mum and dad are from, are fairly new countries. So I think that shaped, um, you know, my mum and dad's marriage um, and obviously their families, you know, uh, migrating at the time of partition. So there was a lot to sort of unlock. So it's been quite challenging so far. And how do they feel about you putting it all together into a book? They're very, very, very uh, supportive, I have to say. I mean, um, I think it's a chance for them to also unlock memories that, you know, uh, lay stagnant in our minds and um, just going through old photo albums and going through old sort of heirlooms that for years had not been touched or photos for years that had not been seen just evoking all these memories so just sort of trying to capture you know my history and my family's history is is both amazing um, challenging uh, because it's just full of happy and sad memories. I think it's so fascinating and wonderful how open you always are about your life and your experiences. Um, so I've seen you give public lectures or on your YouTube channel. You've really been very open about how what you've gone through and the positives and the negatives in your life. Where does that come from, your openness? <laughs> I think for me, it comes as having no other choice. If I believe that if you're not going to be open, then the only other way is to be closed. And I've lived a life uh, before coming out of, of compartmentalization, of feeling like I can't belong to one community at a time. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a unique person in the sense that I... Um, um, fit into many different communities. I mean, I'm, um, you know, I'm British, I'm Pakistani, I'm of South Asian heritage, I'm uh, queer. Uh, I previously identified as a gay man and now I identify as a trans woman. Um, and I'm also disabled as well. 
um, being on the blind spectrum. So um, for me, you know, if I lived a life where I wasn't open um, about who I was, um, then life for me would be very dark, very challenging. And I've, I've been through those periods in my life where, yes, I've faced so many challenges, but I'd rather face those challenges and be open because I feel like for me, it's kind of like I'm bringing myself into the light. I'm bringing myself to happiness. Um, and I think being an open person for me just brings a lot of positivity, happiness and joy and gives me a lot of freedom to express myself and, and just be. And for me, I think that's power. And do you have lots of people reaching out to you in that case who, who aren't in that kind of place? Oh, most definitely. Um, I mean, I get a lot of like, um, you know, um, queer Muslims, queer South Asian uh, people from around the world, not just in Britain, but from around the world that um, reach out to me, DM me on Insta, Facebook, you name it, um, even via email and um, just asking for advice. Um, you know, I yes, I'm in a very privileged and a very unique position where, you know, having dealt with all the challenges of, of coming out, my family really accept me, not just here in the UK, but also in, in Pakistan and in India. Um, the majority of my family do. So I think, um, you know, when people get in touch with me, it's either I'm still in the closet, I'd like to come out, can you give me any advice? Or it's, you know, people are along, you know, far along their journey where, um, you know, I've come out to, to everyone. I'm really struggling with coming out to, you know, such and such member of my family or mum and dad are raising these challenges for me. What can I do? Um, and I feel privileged that I can, you know, give someone advice, but it always comes from a place of, look, this is what has worked for me. It might not work for you. But, you know, I'm happy to share. Um, and by sharing, I think, you know, a, a, um, a challenge, a problem, an obstacle is halved. It must feel like a lot of pressure, though, with people reaching out to you. And for a long time, you were the only spokesperson for Gage, the Gaijin community. Yes. Oh, God, yes. I mean, um, I still feel a lot of pressure um, because, you know, it was the drag community that gave me that title of Britain's first out Muslim drag queen. And um, I felt a tremendous amount of pressure then. And I still feel that pressure um, to not only perform and be myself, but also to support others, because this isn't just about me. This is an issue um, that affects everyone up and down this country and around the world because you know i'm i consider myself very much an intersectional person uh, personality and person because fitting into all these different communities um i guess i have i guess i see life in a very different way to to most people because i've had to navigate so many things so um yeah, I, I, when people do get in contact, when, you know, I do feel a certain amount of pressure to, um, to help, to support, to amplify, you know, other voices from within my community, because the last thing I want is to be the only spokesperson, because 
there are many, 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 many people from within our communities that, you know, have to have their voices heard. Well, let's get back to drag then. How have you found digital drag to be over the last few months? What, that's, what has that experience been like for you? Um, it's much harder, believe it or not. It's so much harder performing to just a camera and knowing that, you know, people are watching you, knowing that there are comments flying in. Um, I think first and for, you know, foremost, I, the, the biggest challenge for me is being, you know, um, severely cited is dealing with um, the comments and making sure that people know, um, you know, that, you know, they're being listened to and being heard. And um, uh, my flatmate and my soulmate, Claudia Lahore, has just, you know, been amazing at helping me keep up to date with what people are saying while I'm performing. Um, I think it's, I think digital drag is much more challenging because, you know, as a live performer, as a live singer, as someone who is, um, constantly using their voice, not having a physical audience and interacting with an audience during a show is really, really, really challenging, I find. Um, the positives are that I don't have to leave my house, <laughs> that I can just get ready at my own leisure. Um, and, you know, everything is compact in that respect. Um, but I'll be honest and say, as much as I love digi uh, digital drag, I cannot wait to get back to actually you know meeting people and performing in front of audiences because not only have I missed audiences I think I've missed being part of the queer community like physically mm. seeing people and meeting people and talking to people I think you know I've realized the importance of that more than ever and when was your first drag performance what was that like Wow. So my first ever drag performance was, um, so I took part in Drag Idol UK in 2011. Um, and prior to that, I was, you know, I did sort of like um, bedroom drag. I also um, um, did drag for like a charity gig, um, you know, just to support um a charity and I didn't take it really really seriously until I um, entered this competition wearing you know a rainbow burqa and famous um, rainbow burqa very famous rainbow burqa <laughs> and I think for me you know I think entering that competition and having audiences and judging panels really divided uh, you know 50 50 as to you know, 50% would say, this is great, this is original, this is, you know, showcasing a different part of our community. And then the other half saying, you know, is this appropriate? Is this racist? Is this, you know, Islamophobic? Um, and then me having to actually discuss in front of the entire audience with judging panels that, you know, this is my experience. This is who I am as a Muslim drag queen. Um, and like I said, it was that... Um, competition that gave me that title of Britain's first out Muslim drag queen but I had to really amplify my voice to be seen and be accepted within the queer community for all my my different identities um, and I think I'm glad I did that because it really shaped um, my career my drag career. So this is a huge question what then does drag mean to you? Wow 
Um, it is a huge question. I think drag for me is about full-blown self-expression um, with limitless boundaries. And, you know, when I started doing drag, I identified as a gay man. For me, through drag, I came to the realization that I was transgender. Um, and drag helped me um, really um, cement that. And, you know, uh, I started transitioning six years into my drag career. And for me, um, now, you know, living day-to-day -day life as a, a trans woman, I use drag again for full-blown self-expression, for, for basically um, the stuff that I can do on stage and get away with, uh, you know, the jokes that I get away with, but um, also, you know, the, the hair, the makeup, the, the, the gowns, the outfits. Um, you know, I couldn't wear that going to Sainsbury's, for example. I'd love to, <laughs> but Me the too. reality is, is, is really different. Um, but the stage persona, the alter ego, the full-blown self-expression that I get from drag, um, and it just allows me to perform, perform in a way that I could never live as. And I absolutely love that about drag. Yeah, so I've heard you talk before about the differences between Azifa, the, the drag queen, and Azifa, everyday you. So is that the main difference for you, just the amplification of who you are and the, the uh, ability to express yourself however you like? Definitely. It's definitely a, a massive art form for me, a definite creative outlet for me to take what I experience on a day-to-day -day level, but literally put it on stage, amplify it through song, through art, um, through drag, essentially, and not only entertain audiences, but also get those messages of inclusion, diversity, intersectionality. Um, you know, the great thing about being part of the drag community is just a plethora of drag queens and drag artists and just the diversity of the different references when it comes to drag and different experiences and, and what drag means to everyone. We're one big massive, you know, family. And yet we're, uh, you know, I always say that we're different chapters of the same book. Mm -hmm. And when you were going through your transition, you said it was six years into your um, drag career. So you were going through this very publicly. You were certainly a public figure by then. You'd done the Channel mm. 4 documentary. What was that experience like having to go through that so publicly? Um, so for me, it was quite a big deal because um, I was in a civil partnership. Um, and in order to, you know, transition I think for my ex-partner it was a big deal he was a gay man who wanted to be with another gay man um, so I knew that my um, I knew that my um, you know my um, civil partnership would have to come to an end I knew that I, I'd have to go through a divorce um, and I knew that you know I couldn't just not come out about being trans, uh, you know, the, uh, being a public figure at that time, having done, you know, a national documentary um, seen by millions, I would have to be honest um, about uh, transitioning, especially as, you know, an advocate of openness, of authenticity. So 
I think the first year I found really challenging because um, being on HRTs um, and hormone replacement therapy for those that don't know, it's a minefield, mm. literally, um, you know, it's like going through a second puberty, which it is, and um, just the mood swings, the ups, the downs, the, the um, you know, the breast growth, all, all sorts of things like dealing with that, I think for me was very challenging. Um, and also, I think that first year I in terms of my appearance I I went through a phase where I was male appearing then it was like you go through this middle phase of you're not quite male you're not quite female appearing and you know having to change your name legally and um, dealing with all those things as well as all the emotions I think I found really challenging oh and also being from a South Asian heritage just dealing with the um, the laser hair removal, for example, <laughs> and coming out once again. Um, you know, I think prior to my um, transition, one of the main things that stopped me was I was scared. I was scared about my, um, how my parents would take it. You know, the first time was so like a roller coaster, a, a traumatic roller coaster. Do I want to go through all that again? Um, but ultimately, it came down to me. Um, being real, being authentic and, you know, opening that door and going through it. Mm. And you're here now. And yes, I, I'm here now. Like <laughs> God, it's been, it's free. It's been three years since I started HRTs. I'm in a really happy place. I'm really happy with who I am. Um, and, um, you know, one of the main things I was, another reason why I was um, worried about coming out as trans is I was afraid that it would affect um, my drag career. I thought that it would really, you know, uh, close doors for me. Um, being a Muslim drag queen is challenging um, at the best of times. Um, being a Muslim drag queen who was also transgender, I would not know how people would take it. But touch wood, I'm very lucky to say that it didn't affect, you know, my gigs, my career. Um, uh, and here I am today, happy with who I am. I've heard you talk about um, how you tried to prepare for giving up your male privileges um, after you transitioned. How has that affected you? It's so, so interesting because, you know, when you are told that you will lose your male privilege, you don't realize the privilege you have until it's gone. And, you know, it's, it's, it's small things like, um, it's small things in the sense that the, it's small things in the sense that people treat you differently. Men treat you differently. Um, and, you, already? you know, sorry, say that again. People that you knew already or? People that I knew already and people that I would be meeting for the first time. So say, for example, um, I don't know, you're going to discuss a, uh, a new gig at a new venue. Obviously, turning up as myself, a uh, female presenting, trans woman, I'm treated totally differently to how I'd be treated as a gay man, uh, massively. And, um, you know, it's interesting because uh, 
salaries change, which I find ridiculous that women get paid less than, than um, men, for example, and uh, also being, you know, a woman of color as well. It, it really does play into how people perceive you. Uh, the dating game, for example, I have found a massive eye-opener as, as a trans woman, like how I am exoticized even more than I was as a gay man, for example. Um, and, you know, on the flip side, you know, I have people, especially men, um, saying stuff like ladies first or opening doors for me or, you know, things like that. And I'm very much like, a, um, you know, you don't need to do that for me. It's absolutely fine. Um, so just having, you know, just having lost how people perceived you to a new perception. And it, it's been quite, it's been quite challenging in the sense that coming, becoming used to that, it has been quite challenging for me. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, I'm really happy with who I am. And um, it's really allowed me to um, experience sexism. <laughs> whether whether you want to experience that or not, but it's, it's allowed me to really experience it firsthand. And, um, uh, you know, it's allowed me to be very much in solidarity with, with other women. And you've done so many things that I'd love to talk to you about. Um, the Oxford Union, when you, you spoke there, what was that experience like for you? Wow. So, um, I'm very lucky in the sense that I spoke at the Oxford Union twice, once for an interview and once during a debate. And um, once as, as a gay man, uh, as a drag queen, and secondly, as a trans woman and a drag queen. So uh, very, very privileged. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was in terms of going to Oxford, um, being from a Pakistani background and living for three years in Pakistan during the time of Benazir Bhutto uh, being the first female Muslim prime minister of a Muslim country. Um, and knowing obviously that she, she was an Oxford graduate. So going to the Oxford Union and seeing her photo in the Oxford um, Union Debating Society uh, was a big deal for me. Um, and also seeing the, the office of the president of the Oxford Union was a big deal for me, simply because when Benazir Bhutto was um, not only the first female president of the Oxford Union, she was also, you know, um, I believe the daughter of a sitting prime minister at the time. Uh, she managed to rearrange the furniture and glamorize it in a way and it's still you know it's still decorated in in her gorgeous vision so for me I think on a personal note I think for me that was a big deal um not only um being close to Benazir Bhutto but also being proud as as a, as a, you know British Muslim drag queen to not only debate but also be interviewed um was a, a privilege Benazir Bhutto is clearly a, a big influence for you. Who else influences you? Oh, God. Um, many different um, 
female figures. I think, you know, politics does play a big part in my life because of who I am. So yes, Ben Azebuto. Margaret Thatcher, I would say, not because um, I, I'm, I do, I've never voted conservative, I don't think I ever will, but I think the idea of, you know, her being Britain's first female prime minister who was undeniably feminine as in in her appearance uh, the pearls the the etiquette the delivery um that the the i think the glamorous side of female um politicians really does um uh, excite me um also you know figures like in the drag world like like rupaul mm-hmm. um um, I remember being absolutely obsessed with like Lily Savage, with Dame Edna Everidge, um, and also Dana International winning Eurovision in 1998. I remember that very, very clearly uh, as how it, you know, not only affected me, but how obsessed I was with Dana International. And, you know, I, I still have her um, Top of the Pops um, performance on on videotape so that's how like obsessed I was um and also the Spice Girls I cannot deny the Spice Girls had a massive influence on on me and you know my early teenage years you entered Eurovision you uh put forward a song so what was that like Wow, um, what an experience. Yes, I entered uh, in 2015 um, a song called You and I, which I wrote myself. Um, and uh, at the time, the BBC were doing an internal selection for which I, um, you know, entered, auditioned for. And I also submitted the song. No, my songwriter submitted the song also for another country, for Moldova. Um, and I had the privilege of like, you know, flying over to the capital of Moldova, which was Kishnau, um, and, you know, doing a live audition live on, on air, which was quite an experience. Um, Eurovision, I'm, I'm a massive Eurovision anorak. Um, uh, I followed Eurovision, um, you know, for, when I was a little boy watching Sonia perform in 1993. Yes. And, yes. You, know, lo- you know, watching it since then, absolutely loving it. Um, and I would love to do Eurovision one day, definitely. I would love to see you do it. Um, what other ambitions do you have for yourself, but also Drag Azifa? What would you love to do um, in the future? I You've done so I much have... already. Oh, tell me about it. Um, what I'd like to do in terms of Azifa uh, um, Lahore, the drag queen, of course I would love to do Drag Race UK. Of course, I would love to do that. I'm a massive fan of of the franchise. Um, I know the franchise is, you know, going through all sorts of debate debates about, you know, mm-hmm. trans uh, inclusivity. So let's see what happens. But um, I would love to see a queen of South Asian heritage um, on the UK version because you know the south asian community is the largest ethnic minority in the uk Mm -hmm. um and politically i know we're going through so much around the world especially with you know the black lives matter movement which is so so valid um and at the same time i would love to see um you know uh, britain represented in all its drag culture um so yeah drag race uk i'd love to do i'd love to do eurovision i would love to have the opportunity actually to take drag race to the subcontinent whether it be india or pakistan um i i've had the privilege in recent you know years to 
to walk, for example, the runway at Pakistan Fashion Week, um, which was an amazing thing. Oh, tell me Um, about that. So Pakistan Fashion Week got in touch um, last year and basically told me that they were having the first LGBT catwalk in their history and they wanted to have it in London and, you know, they wanted to see if I'd like to take part. And for me, it was a no brainer. Not only am I walking a catwalk, I'm walking like a historical catwalk. Yes, please. (laughs) So that was an amazing experience, like being surrounded by, um, you know, the who's who, I guess, of Pakistani culture um, and, you know, the Pakistani media all, all involved. It was a, an amazing experience. Um, so I think, you know, in the near future, I I really want to focus on, I think, Eurovision and Drag Race UK. Um, and also, um, I think, expanding my jewellery brand, Exotic Jewels, as well. Yes, I've seen this on Instagram. Tell me more about this. So Exotic Jewels um, is a jewellery brand that has been designed uh, by myself and Claudia Lahore, who is my uh, flatmate and absolute best friend. And, and, um, you know, you can check out our story on BBC Three's um, Eating With My Ex. Um, And um, the jewellery is recycled and repurposed um and is inspired by my love of bollywood um and it's a good mix of sort of eastern and and western culture and drag and um you know we've been creating a lot of great lockdown one-off pieces as well as um you know our best sellers are like our drag fan earrings uh which we launched at DragCon um earlier in the year um in the uk so yeah that you know it's you're more than anyone listening can check it out at exoticjewels.co.uk fabulous well i suppose the last thing i'd like to ask you about is i heard you say in your last lecture that the uk is a country where you can be yourself i just wondered what your thoughts are on that right now Wow. Okay. So obviously in in the last lectures took place in 2015. I think the UK has become a very different place since then. Um, You know, we've had the Brexit referendum. We've had, you know, the rise in a lot of right wing voices. We've had Donald Trump in the US. And that obviously has had an influence on our way of living. I still believe that I can be whoever I want to be in the UK. However, it has become so much more challenging to be yourself. You know, in the cancel culture that we live in, which to be honest, I really don't agree with because, um, you know, let me give you an example. Um, Monroe Burdoff uh, in 2017 was famously, you know, sacked by uh, L'Oreal for her views. Um, and many people on the other side were cancelling her. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, in 2020 with, you know, the Black Lives Matter um, voice really, you know, being really heard, I think, properly for the first time, um, she's been reimposed uh, by L'Oreal and suddenly it's trendy to support her. And as far as I'm concerned, it's it should it should always be trendy to support her. You know, why, why now that, you know, Black Lives Matter is 
a, a real thing, really strong voice. Now uh, we're really hearing Monroe's voice for the first time. So I think it's become much more challenging being yourself and especially around trans rights at the moment, especially with uh, the Equalities Minister Liz Truss bringing forward a bill that I believe will take, you know, uh, the trans community back uh, a decade or so. Um, you know, and with potentially, who knows, a cliff edge Brexit coming, mm. who knows what rights will be taken away from any one of us at any time. You know, history has shown time and time again that just as quickly as rights are given, uh, and granted, they can be taken away as well. So, um, yes, I'm happy to be British. Yes, I'm happy to be living in the UK. I'm very, I'm a very proud British um, Londoner. But I'm also very vigilant of the changing times because it does feel we are, you know, going through really challenging, shifting times, especially with the pandemic at the moment. Well, where can we find you if we want? more Azifa Lahore in our lives, which I think we all do. Where can we find you online at the moment? Oh, you can find me on all my social media platforms. And you can also visit my website, azifalahore.co.uk. Wonderful. Well, you are such a positive force in the world, Azifa. Thank you so much for talking to me today. And I can't wait to read your memoir. Oh, I can't wait for you to read it as well. <laughs> Thank you. Hi again, it's Carly. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you want to find out more or get in touch, head over to teawithkingsandqueens.com.